Welcome to the Way of the Disciple book study brought to you by Sushipe. My name is Eric Gallagher, and I'll be offering the reflection on chapter 5, titled The Necessary Wastefulness of Love. To start today's reflection for this chapter, I just have to say that this chapter resonates with me quite a bit because this dynamic of these two perceptions or attitudes or dispositions um, or perhaps even responses in some way to Jesus is often a great hurdle um, in in church speak, like in, in the way that people relate to each other, in the way that we strategize our efforts in the church. I have just learned that people tend to be focused pretty heavily on either Simon in this passage or the woman. And even at read of the passage and even through this chapter, you can find yourself wanting to pick one of the two. But the common distinction between the two is, well, we have to know the teachings of the church and we have to live and adhere to the teachings of the church. And then there's the people who maybe aren't as well instructed in the faith, but have had powerful relational graces with Jesus and have had experience of the experiences of the Holy Spirit in their life that are very, very profound and very tangible. And the, these two people often can be at odds with each other. And so I want to get into this chapter and then we'll dive into a little bit about what Maricaca says in and about it. So let's read the passage that he gives us. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat at table. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was sitting at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is and who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, What is it, teacher? A certain creditor had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he forgave them both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one I suppose to whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. 
go in peace. There's so many points in scripture where someone who seems to be so far off, especially given the judgment of the Pharisees and those who had long practiced and awaited the Messiah, and God so quickly draws them to himself. What an incredible gift for us to be able to recognize that. This is what this woman teaches us, is when we have that awareness of our need and awareness of our sinfulness, and we align that with the presence and person of Jesus Christ, incredible things can happen. And now we look at Simon in this passage and we don't, we can be quick to judge him because again, Jesus is, is quick to pick on Pharisees and, um, and we tend to see them as incredibly bad people. And they, they, they had a lot going for them in the sense that they were striving to do the right things. And in a sense, they can, they can handle the accusations because they've built up muscles in a certain way and they just need to be taught that the Messiah is not necessarily coming in the way that they expected. It shows that even when we can strive to do everything right, there's always going to be room for the Lord to teach us. Maricacus says, God allows us to sin. It is for us to learn how easily we tend toward evil and that our only hope lies in him. Right? This is the scrupulosity of Simon in this passage is this, this fear of doing evil. And Jesus comes to say, no, evil is, evil, evil is horrendous, yes. The power of God is far, far bigger than the power of evil. So although it's not a game, God does allow these things to happen so that he can teach us. Right? How many times do you see parents allowing kids to struggle a little bit when they could easily help them just so that they can discover the need for dependency on others? And that they can grow through it. On page 92, he says, We may say then, not only that she has repented of her many sins at feeling the proximity of Jesus' holiness, but that she knows this contrition by converting the fruit of her sin into an act of love and praise. What a beautiful image. When we look at this alabaster jar of ointment, we look at the life that she had lived, and, and you can just imagine that not only do these people around her judge her, but she in the presence of Jesus has to have this very concrete experience of the turmoil of her sinfulness, which actually leads her to being reckless or as this chapter says, wasteful. 
right? We can barely comprehend what that reality is like when we mix our sin in with the love of God and the turmoil that happens as a result. I doubt we'd be able to function well. And this woman gives witness to that, although it's precisely the act that we're looking for. It looks wasteful and reckless. The main point that the author tries to draw out, though, in this, I believe, is that Simon, he says it's a 94, Simon, who believes, himself ju- who believes himself just, puts many conditions on God, thereby limiting and, in a sense, caging God's mercy. The woman only wants to pour out her whole being into the sea of divine mercy, there to drown all her sins and experience rebirth through this act of total self-surrender to a new life. And this is the parallel that the Messiah is striving to teach the disciples. You've been building up this life in anticipation of something great, but the true lesson that he's come to give is that there is a new life. And in order to attain this new life, we have to get rid of the old. And that's a shock. And it's crazy because even someone who has dedicated their life to this path of holiness starts to build up a life for themselves. Right? We all want to kind of cling to like a method or a structure that we believe is the pathway to holiness. And then as soon as we kind of establish that life, even then the Lord calls us to drop our nets and follow him again and again and again. We saw this in the chapter of Jesus calming the sea. We see it again now. He says on page 95, no one can follow Jesus and learn from him the secret of divine life without first abandoning his old life and undertaking the heroic road to sanctity, genuine sanctity, not the Pharisees counterfeit kind, but the sanctity of God himself, which expresses itself in his desire to redeem and recreates us in the image of his dear son. And he closes the chapter One of the things he says, such divine nearness upsets and irritates them. When we live our lives with this total abandonment to God's mercy and love, only then can we experience a deep intimacy. And in that I see the apostles, Simon, especially in this example, as someone who had an idea of what intimacy looked like and he did what he could to achieve it. But God has such a greater plan for intimacy in our lives. May we be open, ready to receive, ready to abandon our lives so that God can take us down a path of intimacy that we'll be able to experience nowhere else but in him. 
everyone, it's Eric Gallagher, the founder of Sushipe. With Advent quickly approaching, I wanted to invite you to join our upcoming book study that will begin on November 29th. Fred and Kara from the organization Draw Near will be leading us through a chapter a week book study on the popular text, I Believe in Love, a personal retreat based on the teachings of St. Therese of Lisieux. Each week, Fred and Kara will offer a simple reflection on a chapter and will guide online discussions through the Sushipe platform. This is an excellent book and opportunity for anyone who is desiring to grow in their spiritual life. Find out more by visiting sushipe.co slash study. That's S-U-S-C-I-P-E dot C-O slash study.